We're going to be looking at Psalm 1 this morning. We're starting a new series titled Psalms, Songs of the Great King. And um, we're going to begin a journey through book one of the Psalms. Not exactly sure how long that journey will be or how many weeks that we're going to be in it. Um, When you heard me say that, maybe you got fretful, 150 chapters. We're going to spend the next three years in the book of Psalms. uh, Scott's very excited about that. And so we aim to please Scott, and so that's what we're going to do. No, I don't think we're going to spend the next three years week by week going through it. Uh, So we're just going to treat this series like like a millennial. You know, we're just going to be pretty noncommittal to it. We're going to see how long. Uh, We're going to leave our options open, and we're going to see where this journey takes us. If you're offended as a millennial by me saying that, I say that as uh, an older millennial, and so just know that. Uh, Psalm 1, we're going to begin this series, and uh, we'll see where it takes us. Turn with me to Psalm 1. It's page 448 if you're using the uh, Pew Bible. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish." Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time together where we can gather as your people to worship you, to be encouraged by others and strengthened by your word. And I pray now as we consider the truths of Psalm 1 and begin this journey through the Psalms, I do pray that you would incline our hearts that you would give us understanding, that you would open our eyes, that you would satisfy us with your word and with your promises. We love you, Lord, and it's in Christ's name that we pray together. Amen. So, uh, the book of Psalms, it's one of the most dearly loved books in the Bible. Uh, For generations, it has served as a treasure for Christians. Uh, Martin Luther called it the Bible miniature. It's the Bible's longest book. It contains more chapters than any other book of the Bible. It also contains the longest chapter in the Bible as well as the shortest. It's the most quoted book in the New Testament more than any other book. One could argue it's one of the most popular books in the Old Testament, if not the entire Bible. Uh, Book of Psalms uh, is one of 
five books right smack in the middle of the, New, of the Old Testament called uh, the writings or the wisdom books. You'll find them right in the middle, and it's Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Psalms, and, and Song of Songs. And it's Psalms, the book of Psalms, that we're going to begin looking at this morning. Now, uh, hopefully, you received uh, this half sheet as you came in. This is intended to be an overview or a guide as we begin this series. And so, uh, I'm looking right at the front here. The title of the book, it it comes from a Greek word that implies uh, plucking, like the plucking of a stringed instrument. In the Hebrew manuscripts, uh, it comes from a a word that means songs of praise. It has the same root, root word as the word hallelujah. Authors, well, there are at least seven. David is the most well-known. Many of the Psalms, however, are anonymous. The date, well, it was written over the span of almost a thousand years, from 1400 B.C. to 450 B.C. The structure, well, the book of Psalms is actually broken into five books. The first four books marks their ending with a benediction. You can see the breakdown of those books um, by chapter in the bottom uh, right-hand portion of this. And if you flip it over, you'll see some of the types of songs as well. I mean, in the book of Psalms, it's been called the anatomy of all parts of the soul for millennia. Christians have sung it and praised these psalms and, and, and prayed them and, and all of that. And you see these different types, and, and we broke them down into five. Uh, they could certainly be broken down into more. You have hymns and laments and imprecatory psalms, kingship royal psalms, and wisdom psalms as well. Now, all of these songs are meant to show us the great King Jesus. When we go through this, we can see the great King Jesus. As one 20th century theologian said, the Psalter, that's another name for the entire book of the Psalms, the Psalter is the prayer book of Jesus Christ in the truest sense of the word. To quote another commentator, if Jesus is the song leader of these songs, we as Christ's people are the choir. To use a lovely analogy first suggested by Augustine, when you sing the psalms, you are actually singing the songs of Jesus with Jesus as your song leader. Rather than listening to a choir of many singers, you are joining the choir. When we pray the psalms, we are praying truth that points to the great king. When we sing these psalms, we are being led by the choir leader or the song leader, the great king Jesus. And as we begin this series looking at Psalm 1, actually Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 serve as an introduction to the entire book or a preamble, if you will. And Psalm 1 will show us the righteous man. Psalm 2 will show us a king. Psalm 1 points to the one who is righteous. Psalm 2, the king. And as we begin the Psalms, we'll see the righteous man 
who is king or the righteous king or the great king. Hence, the title of the series, Psalms, Songs of the Great King. So, as we begin Psalm 1, here's the point. There are two ways, one that leads to blessing and one that doesn't. Two ways, one that leads to blessing and one that doesn't. And as we go through these six verses, we're going to ask three questions. Who is blessed? How is one blessed? And why is one blessed? Who's blessed? How is one blessed? And why is one blessed? So the first, who is blessed? Psalm 1.1, blessed is the man. Now, the psalm starts off with this word blessed. Now, that word literally means happy. It's not just any kind of happiness. It's, it's to be supremely happy or fulfilled. It's a deep sense of well-being. It's the rich and full sense of the word happy. It's rooted in moral and mental and physical well-being. Uh, we throw out the word happy uh, all the time. This cheeseburger makes me happy. Or uh, just this weekend, um, the windows were open and my wife lit, I know it's early in September, but she lit a, a fall candle and football was on in the background and it was totally my happy place. It was a wonderful thing. And then SU got destroyed by Maryland and Antonio Brown uh, signed with the New England Patriots. And then I was no longer in my happy place any longer. The word happy, we throw it out there. It's superficial, everything, all the advertisements promise happiness. But this psalm means happy, blessed in the deepest, truest, most fulfilled state of happiness. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, the psalm starts off with some negative descriptions. It's going to say the blessed person doesn't do something, and then verse 2 is going to show us that the blessed person does do something. Now, notice these postures in verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not, walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, walks, stands, sits. It gives three different words describing someone like a sinner, wicked, sinner, scoffer. Now, some argue that there's a progression uh, of sin here. It starts from going from bad to worse. Others make the case that they're just, uh, just different views of, of looking at uh, depravity and sin. Now, if there's a case to be made for a progression, uh, it's interesting to follow those, those postures, you know, walking in the counsel of the wicked. It's, it's listening to the counsel of the wicked. It's, it's as you listen to the counsel of the wicked, you begin to meditate on wicked things or the things of the wicked. There's standing in the way of sinners. So, you're not just listening to the wicked, you're actually taking your stand with them now. The, the way of sinners. Way implies habits or lifestyles, a path you follow throughout life. 
So their sinful style, lifestyle, becomes your sinful lifestyle. Their sinful habits become your sinful habits. Their sinful attitudes become your sinful attitudes and sits in the seat of scoffers. Scoffers, they're funny people. They're funny people who make you laugh as you turn away from God. They like telling jokes and making light of the rebellion against God, calling evil good and good evil. They want to make you feel stupid and dumb and ignorant for following God. So right out of the gate, in the book of Psalms, verse 1 presents us with a problem. Because if we're honest, we would all admit that we've heeded the counsel of the wicked way too often. We've stood in the way of sinners. We may have even laughed at others as they pursued the Lord. To put it in the plainest terms possible, we are sinners. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Now, this, this is a problem because to be truly blessed, to be truly happy in the truest, deepest, fullest sense of the word, it, it requires complete obedience to God. The blessed man has never sinned, but you and I have sinned. So, the blessings of Psalm 1 are only for those who are completely separate from sin. Who can inherit the blessing? Who can hope to have this blessed life? Who can hope to live this happy life the way the, the psalmist lays out? It's just one big tease. In fact, there's only one man in all of human history who has lived out the reality of Psalm 1. That's Jesus Christ. And from Adam onward, no other man, no other person has lived up to the standard found in Psalm 1.1. Abraham didn't. Moses didn't. Even King David didn't. And, and we don't. Now, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, verse 1 of the very first psalm points us to Jesus. Now, this is the good news. Uh, this is the gospel that all the blessings, we're going to see in a moment, all of these blessings in Psalm 1 become ours in Christ Jesus. How? Through His perfect obedience. So we are joined together in Christ by trusting in His death and resurrection. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. I'll say it again. For our sake, He made Him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. It's showing us that, that God gives us Jesus' righteousness. Jesus' obedience becomes our obedience. Jesus' obedience is counted as our obedience. 
Now, this helps us, I mean, myriad of ways, but this helps us specifically in responding to Psalm 1 in what would be called a moralistic way. Well, I need to stir myself up. I need to muster up the strength so I don't uh, walk like the wicked do, but I actually try to do what verse 2 says and walk in the way of the Lord. I've got to be a better person. I've got to try harder. I've got to be less sinful and more good. This protects us from that. Rather, it points us to trust in God's provision in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 says, that every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus. Does that mean we don't have to do anything? No. No, because not only this, but then if we're in Christ Jesus and His righteousness is counted as, uh, as now ours, like we can count His righteousness, it's now our righteousness, well then He also promises us to enable us through His Spirit, through Christ in us, the hope of glory, to then live out the very things that Psalm 1 talks about. Christ promises to empower us through His Spirit, through the seal of our eternal blessing, our promised inheritance, empowering us to turn away from sin and to delight in His Word and meditate on His Word. So, to, to live out Psalm 1, we need to become like Christ through the power of His Holy Spirit. Okay, so we see, first of all, what the blessed person doesn't do, and how Christ is the only one who didn't do that completely. Verse 2 shows us what the blessed person does do. But, verse 2 says, His delight is in the law of of the Lord. And on His law, He meditates day and night, saying that God blesses the one who constantly and intentionally focuses on God and His Word. So, rather than finding pleasures in the ways of the wicked or the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners or going in that way, rather it, it promises blessing by meditating on and delighting in God's law. The word law equals Torah. Torah equals instructions. They're God's words about God's ways. Now, of course, this was entirely true of Christ as well. Jesus perfectly delighted in the Scriptures. Jesus amazed others with His teaching even as a child. His earthly ministry began and ended by pointing others to God in His law, or God in His Word. This is also true of Jesus' followers, Jesus' disciples. Those who trust in Christ, the Word promises us, are, are given a new heart. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, behold, the new has come. This gives us a new heart to, to hunger for God, to delight in God, to delight in things, God, when we didn't delight in them before. Now, there are some who don't delight in God's Word because they have no interest in learning more about God. They think they know enough about God 
They think they know the basics and they can do their own thing. Others don't delight and meditate on His Word because, honestly, they don't want to. They want to be the captain of their own souls. They're just looking for God to bless their way. And they may even use the spiritual language and call it God's way, but in reality, it's their way. They've chosen not to learn more about God and the ways of God, and they simply want God to bless it. I was reminded of this yesterday. I had a conversation uh, with someone who was um, communicating to me that uh, they were doing something, living uh, a certain way, and making decisions that were clearly contrary to God's Word. And yet, uh, this individual was telling me, but, but I have peace about it, and I know that God will bless it. You start to press a little bit. Well, you know what you're doing is contrary to God's Word. Yeah. Well, how's your time in God's Word? Well, I haven't really had any because when I'm reading it, I feel guilty. Okay, well, uh, is it guilt or is it conviction? Like, it's, it's a blessing for you. But that individual is very clear, straight out of the gate, just wanted God to bless what He was going to do, no more, wasn't interested in anything else, and then just kind of couched it in a bunch of spiritual language. But to actually delight in God's law requires us to submit to God's Word. Isaiah 66, 2, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my Word. The blessed man is someone who delights in God's Word. We're enabled to delight in God's Word by what Christ has done and His enabling power of His Spirit. And yet, are, are we people who delight in His Word? And it's not only a heart thing, but it's also a mind thing. It meditates on His law day and night. That word meditate literally means to, to mutter or murmur. It means to talk to yourself. Now, many of you then are guilty of meditating, right? I mean, you're murmuring to yourself all the time, and maybe 30% of the time you get caught. But this isn't just like talking to yourself. It's actually talking God's Word to yourself as you ponder on it and reflect on it. It, it suggests ongoing action. Meditate on His law day and night. So, it begs the question, well, how can we be people then who meditate on God's Word day and night. I'm going to state some very obvious things. Part of it is being people who, who make this time on Sunday morning a uh, priority. No, this isn't the, the essence and substance of our faith. And yet, gathering together as God's people, praising God, expressing our, our worship and adoration and praise to Him, being strengthened by the Word, being encouraged of the fellowship of others, making this time together as Christ's people a priority, where people who meditate on God's Word obviously need to spend regular time in God's Word daily. You've got to interact with it, read it, chew on it. It's a real challenge for many Christians to engage God regularly in His Word. Now, there's a myriad of reasons why it doesn't happen, most of which are illegitimate, though it's easy to rationalize and make excuses for it. One common one, however, is I don't know what to read. And so, there's no plan, there's no forethought that goes into it. Now, not that this fixes everything, but we um, have tried to um, 
provide reading plans for people, if that's a struggle of yours, to, in order to encourage and strengthen and enable people to engage God through His Word. There's these brightly colored things in the back at the Connection Center, two different reading plans. Um, one, uh, the orange one, has you go through the New Testament uh, twice in two years and the Old Testament once. So, it takes you the whole Bible over the course of two years. This blue one is a modified plan. It basically has you reading smaller chunks of Scripture. But rather than just, what do I feel like reading today? It's actually a systematic plan with dates and everything that you can read. In addition to reading, like, like pondering it and thinking about what you're reading. We have these words to live by journals. Uh, all it is is it's just the same thing over and over and over again that asks uh, four or five questions to help you uh, chew on what you're reading, process it, rather than reading it like the newspaper, kind of in one eye and then gone. Now, if, if you, these words that live by journals are 10 bucks, it just covers the cost of printing. If you don't have 10 bucks, if you're not interested, I would e- I'll email you all the questions in it. I don't care if you have this, just something to help you process and meditate on God's word day and night. Now, we're going to talk in a moment about what those blessings are, but if we really believed that there were blessings, like, like happiness, like deep-rooted joy and confidence and peace came from meditating on God's Word day and night. We would be people of the Word. It's been said that uh, typically uh, people interact with God and His Word in five ways, either hearing the Word, reading the Word, uh, studying the Word, memorizing the Word, meditating on the Word. Now, there's different ways to kind of categorize those things, but but, but hopefully, to some degree, you're interacting with God's Word constantly. Another excuse I hear is, well, I can't really study God's Word, so I don't have time for that. So because you don't have 45 minutes, you're not going to engage God's Word. Listen to the Word. Saturate yourself, your heart and your mind in the Word. Just read it at times. It's also been said that the, the gateway to, to meditation, the, the key to meditation is memorizing Scripture, hiding God's Word in our hearts and our minds. And once again, that's a, that's a challenging, it's a very fruitful discipline, but it's a very challenging discipline. If you're interested in that, I mean, there's a lot to it, and there's, there's different ways to help you memorize Scripture more. I'd be happy to sit down with you or email you many documents on just how to describe a good way to memorize Scripture consistently. Now, many people don't know this, but actually on our, our bulletin, right there at the top, on the back, it says, words to live by memory verse. If you don't know what to memorize, here it is. It goes out on social media, I think every Monday or Tuesday. It's not an uncommon thing for me as I'm laying in bed at night. And just thinking about all the demands of tomorrow and all the challenges that, uh, and all the things that need to get done, all the challenges I'm going to face to just settle my soul with the Word of God and begin to recite Scripture in my head that slowly begins to calm my spirit. It's not an uncommon thing as I'm praying for uh, our members, uh, looking at our our member directory, and um, especially when there's not specific prayer requests, to just pray Scripture. I've memorized over the years over individuals and students and families and children. It's a wonderful treasure. It says, blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord and And on his law, meditates day and night. John Piper writes this. You'll see it on the screen. He says, oh, the benefits and delights 
of knowing communion with God hour by hour in His Word. If you've ever wondered, what is hour by hour walking in fellowship with the living God? The answer is, it is His speaking to you by His Word through your memory and meditation and illumination and application and your speaking to Him words of thanks and praise and admiration and desire and seeking for help and guidance and understanding. The Word is the basis for your hearing Him and for His hearing you. The depth and solidity and certainty of your walk with God and your communion with God will rise and fall with whether God's own written Word is the warp and woof of the fabric of your fellowship. Regularly engaging God in His Word, we're not saying that justifies us. We're not saying that gets us more of God's favor. It makes God love us more, but it does provide communion. It does provide protection. It does provide strengthening. And as we'll see in a moment, some of the blessings that are articulated. So as we're considering first who is blessed, first of all, we see that Jesus is the truly blessed man. Secondly, we see that every man, woman, or child who is in Christ then also receives the blessings from Psalm 1 through Him. And if we truly belong to Christ, if we're truly in Christ, then we make it our aim to live out the pattern found in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who turns away from sin and finds his delight, his joy in the Word of God. Okay, who's blessed? Secondly, how is one blessed? What does this blessing look like? Verse 3, he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers so verse 3 gives us uh, an illustration of a tree planted by streams of water and you see uh, three things that this articulates that there's the, the blessings are there's fruit there's durability and there is prosperity First fruit, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. So what it's saying, this blessing looks like, is if you're a person who delights in the Word of God, meditates on the Word of God in Christ Jesus, that there will be fruit in your life that you'll continue to mature and conform to the image of Christ, that you'll mature in your love for God and others, that you'll grow in your joy, that there will be peace in ever-increasing fashion, that we'll grow in our patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness, that we'll mature in faithfulness and in self-control. Oh, Lord, that there would be more fruitful people in this church. You know who they are. 
When you're with them, you're strengthened by them. When you're with them, you feel like you've been fed, like you've just had a hearty meal. That your appetite has been increased for God and His Word. One commentator says that a fruitful person is thankful in seasons of plenty, has faith in seasons of doubt, patience in suffering, peace in turmoil, mercy when wronged, gentleness when falsely accused, strength in temptation, humility in leadership, and prayer in all seasons. That is fruitfulness. That is what it's like to be a tree planted by streams of water. It's fruitful. The blessing also looks like durability. And its leaf does not wither. So the picture of a tree planted by streams of water, you contrast that with other trees who aren't planted by streams of water where those leaves may wither. But for the blessed man who's in Christ Jesus, delighting in the Word, meditating on the Word, you see that this person's, their leaf doesn't wither. That in spite of the heat and the drought, your leaf remains green, meditating on and delighting on God's Word. The joy, the happiness, the deep-rooted happiness of this person is durable. It doesn't depend on which way the wind is blowing or how hot the heat of this life gets because we have a never-ending supply of water. Christ in His Word. There are many here who uh, you wouldn't know this by saying just hi to them on a Sunday morning. Maybe their missional communities know this or their formation groups that are just going through deep, deep pain, tremendous hardship, extreme difficulties that are common to life yet deeply painful. There is hope and a promise in Psalm 1-3. For the one who drinks from this source, Christ and His Word, there is comfort, there is durability, there is steadfastness, there is perseverance. Turn to God's Word. There's fruit. Yields its fruit in its season. There's durability and its leaf does not wither. And there's prosperity. The last line, in all that he does, he prospers. Or are you saying, if I delight in God's word and I meditate on him, if I'm in Christ, that, um, that means I'll get that promotion at work or my business will grow or there won't be any sickness or no one will ever get in a car accident? Well, not, not necessarily, though there's some measure of truth to that. If we follow God's word and his ways, much hardship can be avoided. Think of Galatians chapter 6, reap to the flesh, reap to, or sow to the flesh, you reap destruction, you sow the Spirit, you reap eternal life. And yet we also know that God does not always 
spare his most faithful suffering. In fact, see Jesus on the cross. Read suffering. God's purposes were accomplished through Christ's suffering. But there is a promise of blessing here that we know that all that is done in Christ in terms of eternity will prosper. The pain, heartache, confusion is not pointless. And in Christ, we can trust that God is working for the good of all those who love Him. Romans 8, 28. And you think about what uh, we're attempting to do here by God's grace with this church. We're um, seeing the gospel saturated in central New York and beyond. We know that the efforts to plant more churches and tell our friends, neighbors, co-workers, loved ones, the good news of Jesus Christ, to, um, to, to serve others that are difficult to serve, the type of work we're doing and investing in other church networks and church leaders and global missions and all of that, we can take heart that there will, at least in terms of eternity, that that does not return null and void. Okay, we're answering the question, what does the blessing look like? How is one blessed? That's verse 3, but then look at verse 4. Contrasting that with the, the tree planted by streams of water, verse 4 says, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Verse 4, the wicked are not so. I had memorized this passage 20 years ago in the NIV, and it's much more emphatic. It says, not so the wicked. You know, just kind of throwing in your face the contrast between the tree planted by uh, streams of water and the wicked. Not so the wicked. The wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Chaff, that's heads of wheat crushed to separate the kernel from the husk. You know, then it was tossed into the air, the wind would carry it away, and the chaff, like the chaff, that's what it was called when the wind would carry it away, while the heavy kernels would fall back to the ground. So I was talking uh, to my seven-year-old daughter, five-year-old son about this chapter, and I was trying to explain the concept of chaff, but I'm not a farmer, and I'm not good at explaining it, and the seven-year-old's not getting it at all. And so then I try to switch gears a little bit and try to think of an analogy that she'll understand. And so then I, I, I point her to the white dandelions that are in our front lawn, you know, the ones that both of them just love to pick up and blow uh, all over the place, hence the reason why uh, they're just covered. My lawn is just covered with them uh, every spring, and, and, and they just blow away so easily. Just pick them up. Blow. So, I, I tried to um, explain this contrast between the wicked and, and the blessed uh, man or woman by, by saying, okay, well, if you go like that on a dandelion, certainly it blows away. But what if you did this to our house? Does it blow away? And my daughter's like, no, no, the house doesn't blow away. Well, why doesn't the house blow away? Well, the house is strong. And so, is the dandelion not strong? No. No, dandelion, those things just blow away very easily. That's the point. That's the contrast. The wicked, they're like chaff that the wind drives away. <laughs> Done. They will not stand, verse 5 says, in the judgment, nor in the congregation of the righteous. Of course, we see it. There's, there's prosperity, some prosperity for the wicked in this life. 
But in the end, this tells us, this truth is, that they will be blown away. They'll be driven away like chaff, like a dandelion. The end of the wicked is not always visible in this life, but they will not survive the day of judgment. They will collapse. They will not stand is what these verses say. Who's blessed? Answer that question. How is one blessed? We've talked about the blessings that come in Christ Jesus by being people who delight and meditate on God's Word day and night. And lastly, why is one blessed? Why is the godly man or woman blessed? Look at the last verse, verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The reason the godly flourish is because God is watching over them. God knows them. If you're in Christ Jesus, God knows you. And there's blessings that come with God knowing us, the type of blessings that we've already seen. When uh, I was a student at Florida Gulf Coast University in 2004, uh, George W. Bush was running for re-election. So he's campaigning, and uh, Vice President Dick Cheney came to our school and uh, was campaigning and all of that um, at our school's arena. So people from all over Southwest Florida came uh, to hear Vice President Dick Cheney speak and give his address. And I had class, and I think there was an admission fee and all of that, so I, I didn't go. I avoided all the hubbub. So that day I'm walking from class to my dorm, and I'm crossing the street when all of a sudden I hear someone yell, Sir, stop! Now, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm not jaywalking or anything, so I keep walking. They say it, this person says it several more times, sir, stop, sir, stop. Well, this person's very emphatic. I know they're not talking to me, but I look anyway. Sure enough, there's a man in a suit and some sunglasses running straight towards me. We make eye contact, I think, can't really see his eyes, but behind the shades, and I stop right in the middle of the road. Then he stops. He says, sir. I need you to get to the sidewalk immediately. I'm not going to argue with a man in the suit and the glasses. He has a lot of authority. He's speaking quite sternly. So I follow the gentleman to the sidewalk. As soon as I get to the sidewalk, I see Vice President Dick Cheney's motorcade drive right by, and I get a great view of him in the back seat. Now, um, the reason the Secret Service didn't let me cross the street or get anywhere near the Vice President was because the vice president didn't know me. We weren't tight. We weren't friends. In case you're wondering, we're still not yet friends. He didn't know me. Had he known me, I would have had access to him. Had he known me, I would have had fellowship with him. I would have been able to engage him. That's what verse 6 is saying. That, that it doesn't say, doesn't say that we know the way of the Lord. Verse 6 says, the Lord knows. The Lord knows the way of the righteous, that the blessing comes because God knows us. And in Christ, God knows us. But then the last line, but the way of the wicked will perish. James Johnson says that no one watches over the wicked, wicked to protect and bless them. 
to describe the totality of their destruction. It's not just the wicked themselves who perish, but the way of the wicked will perish. The godless path they blaze through life will be destroyed when God purges sin from this world. Every trace of the wicked, even their footsteps, will be wiped away. Choose the way of blessing. Choose Christ. Jesus Christ is the righteous man in the fullest sense of the word found in Psalm 1. And when we share in this psalm, we join with the righteous man, Jesus, in affirming the blessings that rest on him and are found in him alone. And if you belong to him, if you're in Christ, if you're in this righteous man, then the blessings of Psalm 1 are ours through him. And Psalm 1 then can become the pattern of our lives. This is the way of true blessing. This is the way of true joy. And if you're not in Christ, if you haven't trusted in this righteous man, hear the warnings and the promises found in Psalm chapter 1. But for those of us who are in Christ, may we rejoice. May we delight in God and His Word. May we meditate on that Word day and night that we would be fruitful people, that we would be durable people, and that we would continue to prosper. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you for the blessings that are in Christ Jesus. We thank you that he is the righteous man and that through his obedience now, he became sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Pray that we would be people who delight in your word, who meditate on the law day and night, that we would be marked by the type of blessing described in Psalm 1-3, fruitful, durable, prospering. Thank you that you know us. We're known by you. There's great comfort and rest and security in that. Thank you that we have access to you, God. Thank you that we're called sons and daughters in Christ, co-heirs with Christ. Father, we pray that you would now enable us, strengthen us by your power to live these things out in front of the world. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.